0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This week, Bishop continues his series on the Old Testament, focusing on the legacy and historical context of the major prophets, especially Isaiah, during this episode.
1: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. And as promised, we are back with our second part of our Sherathon Reward. Last week we did the covenants of the Old Testament leading up to the Eucharist being uh, our new covenant. Uh, and now we're going to talk about the major prophets. I'm sure you know the Hebrew word for
0: prophet right (laughs) Uh, of course but i would like you to say it oh okay i feel feel better about that it's nabi (laughs) n-a-b-i the reason i'm giving you the hebrew is so that you understand what a prophet is Uh because the hebrew word nabi means one chosen by god to speak in his name Uh. and that's basically what a prophet is Mm -hmm. one chosen by god to speak in his name You might remember the first verse of the letter to the Hebrews, where it says, in many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. Hmm. So, it's really important. And as you know, there are 16 prophetical books in the Bible, in the Old Testament, four major prophets and 12 minor prophets. Why do we call... Some major and some minor. I would guess either by quantity or quality of their prophecies? Very good. It's actually quantity. Okay. The four major prophets are much longer books of the Bible than the 12 minor prophets. So, it really is by quantity. Hmm. I don't – although I think when you look at the importance, you know, someone like Isaiah would probably – would, because of its content, be, we could probably say, the most important. Hmm. Um, but when we talk about these 16 prophetical books, that doesn't mean that there were only 16 prophets in the Old Testament. There were other prophets without prophetical books. Okay. So, because this whole institution of prophecy, Began really in the early days of the monarchy, you know, with King Saul, King David. That's when this prophetic institution began. So that's basically 10th century BC. Okay. So a thousand years before Christ, when the the monarchy began. And these prophets would often be At different shrines. I'll give you an example. Everyone knows about uh, Samuel, okay? And we read about Samuel in the first and second books of Samuel Uh in the Bible. Now, they're not prophetic books. They're historical books. But Samuel is a prophet. He's in the temple, one of these local shrines, at Shiloh. And that's really the earliest prophet that we have. Uh, He – was one chosen by God to speak in His name? Remember that definition, and and basically, he interpreted God's will for the people. There are other prophets besides Samuel that don't have a book: Elijah, Elisha. Remember Nathan, who hmm. prophesied to David that his kingdom would last forever, and so all these prophets acted or transmis- transmitted their message. In the name of God. So, the 16, though, that we're talking about have books, the the prophetical books. Mm -hmm. These we can call the written prophets, okay, because they had books. They were conscious of being spokesmen for God. And we read in the books visions that they had, oracles. Oracles were really important. Uh, You know, thus says the Lord, you know, and talk a little bit about that. Sometimes in the prophetical books, you learn a little bit about their careers as prophets and their calling as to be a prophet, things like that. So, the first prophetical books were from the eighth century BC. Okay, so I mentioned you know Samuel was around tenth century BC. By eighth century BC, there were uh, the first prophetical books. So you have the or prophets who have prophetical books named for them Uh and at that time the kingdom was split the northern kingdom the kingdom of israel and the southern kingdom the kingdom of judah and that's where jerusalem was jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom of judah whereas in the north samaria was the capital that would have included galilee in the north and they had their own king the earliest written prophets would have been in the north, Amos and Hosea, and they were minor prophets. In the southern kingdom of Judah, we have in the 8th century BC, Isaiah and Micah. You've heard of the minor prophet Micah. Mm-hmm. Then moving on to the 7th and 6th century BC, you have other prophets, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Nahum, And one of the major prophets, Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. Then in the 6th century BC, the prophet Ezekiel, another major prophet. And then others came even later up to the last prophetical book. The last prophetic book is the book of Daniel, another major prophet. But that was written a little before 165 BC. Hmm. So, there's kind of a distance in years between the book of Daniel and the last prophet before him. Anyone who's studied scripture and how the scriptures came to be would know that the prophetical books, like, like so many others, were not written all at one time. Okay, Okay, so it was many years. There was a process over a period of time. The prophetical books contain the main elements of the prophet whose name they bear. So if you have like the book of Isaiah, there were some sections, which especially the beginning, that were written by the prophet himself. But in these prophetical books, you'll find other parts of the books that were really written not by them, but but by their disciples, by those who followed them and Mm -hmm. followed their teachings. So it took, you know, sometimes a development of – of many decades till a book reached its final form, because you have first the the prophet's words, that's Mm -hmm. the first, the most earliest historical part, but then you have, as I mentioned, the contributions of the, the disciples of the prophets, and sometimes these are big sections. And sometimes the disciples recalled things that the prophet said, Hmm. and wrote about them. So there was an oral tradition first. Uh-huh. And then there was a, a later period where all this was redacted. We would we would use the word edited. So you have an editor who put all these things together. He would compile it into a book. So that's why when you study these books and you look at the – and you're trying to understand the book and its historical – uh In the historical context, it can be a little challenging because you're saying, now, was this something the prophet himself said or was this one of his disciples or, you know, uh, so there's this whole thing. Now, all of this, we believe, is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, because the Bible is inspired by God. When we read the prophetical books, we'll often read oracles. I mentioned Earlier, they're like speeches mm-hmm. or solemn statements that they would make in the name of God. They would say things like, thus says the Lord God. Sometimes it's denunciation, hmm. you know, or uh, words of judgment, you know, or sometimes they're words of consolation, promise, like prophets. Some of the prophets you see, the promise of salvation. Some of these oracles were addressed to all the people some they were just addressed to one person one individual sometimes a an oracle is for the whole nation Mm -hmm. like for example there could be an oracle that a prophet is delivering to the king Mm -hmm. you know but it could be appropriate and we see its meaning even today for leaders right sometimes you see other kinds of literature in the prophetical books um You know, you see accounts of dreams that they had or visions, sometimes a little bit of biography about the prophet, their calling by God, things like that. So sometimes there's pieces of letters or wisdom sayings that you can find in the prophets as well. Sometimes there's actions, symbolic actions. I mean, think, for example, of you read in the book of Prophet Jeremiah, where he put the yoke around his neck. So, you see mm-hmm. these symbolic actions, and that symbolized that slavery awaited the people in Babylon. So, so you see symbolic acts where they acted out the oracle, mm-hmm. you know, like he was giving this oracle, warning people that they would be enslaved. But then he actually dramatically showed it by putting the yoke around his neck. So, you see all these kinds of things in the prophetical books. I think... Talking generally about the prophets, their primary subject was monotheism, that there is one God Mm -hmm. who is the Lord, the sovereign Lord, and that God had a special relationship with the people of Israel. I think that's something common in all of the prophets. They would preach against idolatry they would emphasize how god is supreme he's sovereign that he's holy holy in the sense of being above everything hmm. you know holiness at that point didn't mean to be morally upright it really means more set apart so god is a sets apart he stands above everything he's mm-hmm. the creator another part of the content of the prophetical books is is that of of a messianic hope this hope in a messiah Mm -hmm. that salvation would come and some of the prophets emphasize this messiah as a king a descendant of king david so we have that term royal messianism the idea of royal king messianism messiah so that there would be a messiah king especially before the exile in babylon prophets would would emphasize that like the prophet isaiah mm-hmm. so some of these prophets wrote before the exile in babylon i'll give you dates as we go along but just for now some of them wrote while they were in exile in babylon and others wrote later after they came back to jerusalem and to, and to judea And in the later prophets, after they returned from exile, you have this idea still that God would save the nations. So you have beforehand more emphasis on how they'd be saved from their Babylonian captivity. But now it broadened that God, through Israel, will save the nations and you'll see that, for example, when you get to the last prophetic book, Daniel, he speaks about the coming of the Son of Man. And this isn't just for the people of Israel. This is for all humanity. Hmm. Another thing you find in the prophetic books is ethical or, and social teachings, the importance of justice, uh, especially for the poor. You see some real firebrands like Amos. Who's, who's really denounces in the strongest terms the oppression of, of the poor. The prophets are concerned about obedience to the law, so following the moral precepts of, of the law of Moses. But you see also in the prophets the importance of, of not only mere external observance of the law, but also having a clean heart, you know, one's interior. Of course, Jesus stresses that a lot too but you also see it in the prophets and they write about the importance of worshiping god religious worship so that gives you kind of a broad in broad strokes kind of the themes that the prophets uh treated it is helpful before we start talking about a particular prophet and i know you want to talk first about isaiah Mm -hmm. the historical background these writer prophets okay Really begin with Amos, as I mentioned, in the Northern Kingdom, all the way down to Malachi, who wrote in the fourth century BC. So you have the eighth century BC to the fourth century BC. That's the time frame of the written prophets. Okay. The other ones that I mentioned that came earlier, like Samuel, they're, they don't they don't have prophetic prophetic books, but eighth to fourth century BC is when these prophetic books were written with the exception of Daniel that came comes so much later that second century uh-huh. BC but the others are all between the 8th century and the 4th century BC so we're talking about a 400 year period here yeah so it's like longer than the history of the United States <laughs> so when you think about it, okay this gets a little complex to kind of understand because you're you're talking a 400 year period and there are a lot of events that took place, a lot right. of changes, you know, different kings, different—I mean, different battles and wars and everything going on. The 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 exile in Babylon, for example, in the sixth century BC. So so we're going to start at the beginning, the eighth century BC. At this time, the kingdom—you know—there were two kingdoms: Israel in the north, as I mentioned, and um, that was really the dominant kingdom in the eighth century BC. But it started to decay. And it collapsed at the hands of the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a major superpower, I guess we would say today. Um, So, really, the northern kingdom collapsed in the year 722 BC. Okay. The prophets who were up there in the north were Amos and Hosea. But then, in the southern kingdom, which is called Judah, again, it's named after one of the sons of Jacob, Mm -hmm. one of the 12 tribes. Then it became the heyday of the southern kingdom. After the northern kingdom fell, and that really, under a, a really good king, King Hezekiah, who reigned from 716 to 701 BC. Then after him, another 50 years or 40, 50 years, there was a great religious reform led by King Josiah, So, when Hezekiah was king, who was a good king, that was the latter part of Isaiah's career as a prophet. When King Josiah did the reform in 662 BC, you have prophets Zephaniah and Jeremiah. But then everything stopped because they were conquered by Babylon. They went into exile in 587 BC. And for 50 years or so, They were in captivity, the Babylonian captivity. Then they returned to Judah, and that was thanks to the decree of King Cyrus of Persia. Hmm. And it was that time that we have the second part of the book of Isaiah composed. Now, I will explain this a little bit more, but really when you look at the book of Isaiah, there are three major parts. Only the first part was during the lifetime of Isaiah himself. Okay. So – what we call second Isaiah, sometimes called Deutero Isaiah, that was written upon their return to Judah and uh, or written about there. So but when they returned and Jerusalem was rebuilt and everything, it was no longer an independent kingdom. They were under the Persians for like three centuries. You know, I mentioned King Cyrus freed them, but then they dom- they were there. Uh, occupiers basically they were under the persians and then the greeks for another 300 years up until 70 bc and then we know the romans came in so some of this history i think is good in order to kind of get the context for the preaching of the prophets and what was going on yeah, we
1: we hear these readings all the time at Mass, but I've never had anybody put them into that context before. It's so good to, to kind of have that timeline. All right, well, let's take a break. Whenever we come back, um, maybe we'll talk more about these Old Testament prophets, the major prophets, especially Isaiah. Coming up here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman. and We've just been getting a background on the prophets of the Old Testament, especially the major prophets. And uh, it's really helpful for me to be putting this within a timeline and uh, getting a perspective of everything. I know we're leading into Isaiah. Any more background on the
0: prophets and the timeline before we get into Isaiah? No, I think I'm ready to go to Isaiah. Okay. Eighth century BC. Okay. Okay. Southern Kingdom, Judah. Should I just ask questions to review to make sure you were paying attention, <laughs> Kyle? <laughs> if you want to embarrass me, I'm ready. Yeah. Micah was his contemporary, remember? Okay. Micah, uh, one of the minor prophets. Anyhow, Isaiah was a major prophet, and he was, uh, his career as a prophet really lasted about 40 years. Okay. And he began the year that King Uzziah died, at least— At that point, he became a prophet. That was in 742 B.C. And then it ended sometime after the Assyrians attacked Jerusalem, which was in 701 B.C. So keep that in mind. It basically 742 to 701 B.C. He was a native of Jerusalem. We know he was educated, uh, an educated man. We know he loved Jerusalem. That's very clear when you read the book of Isaiah. Hmm. So, he was prophet during the time of four different kings. So, the first king who was reigning when he began was King Uzziah. But that was, you know, he died, and then there were three more kings that followed him. How do we know this? Well, the very first verse of the book of the prophet Isaiah tells us. It says, and I quote, this is how the book of the prophet Isaiah begins. The vision of Isaiah— The son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. By the way, son of Amos, it's not the prophet Amos up in the northern kingdom, it's a different Amos, so don't don't get confused there. So there are these four kings, so he was prophet during their reigns, about 40 years. What was happening during these 40 years? Well the main superpower was Assyria and they were going around basically expanding their empire around the middle East. So they were conquering different kingdoms and what they would do is they'd take over a kingdom. They'd exact these tributes or taxes from them. They would sometimes deport people like the Babylonians Mm -hmm. did later. So it was a time when everybody was afraid of the Assyrian armies. Uh, So you can imagine living in that context And some of the kingdoms, because they wanted to defend themselves, would form alliances, or we would say today, I guess, coalitions, Hmm. to defend themselves from Assyria. Judah was under threat, and one of the questions came, should they make an alliance with one of the other kingdoms? Uh That's a question that comes up because Isaiah will speak against that, basically telling them they should trust God. Okay. Um, So, anyhow – His ministry as a prophet began, and when it began, the kingdom up in the north, the the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, made an alliance with the kingdom of Syria. Okay. And so they joined forces. They made this, and they were encouraged by Egypt to do this, to stop the advance of the Assyrians. Hmm. And they wanted King Ahaz of judah to join them uh-huh. ahaz was the third king during which isaiah was prophet and ahaz refused which is really what isaiah told him he shouldn't he should refuse i mean okay. isaiah is saying you need to trust in god don't enter into this alliance but what did I, king ahaz do is he tried to ingratiate himself with the assyrians So, in order to save his own kingdom, he was, I guess you could say, humanly speaking, he was being prudent, make friends with the enemy, the Assyrians. Well, what happened then in 734 BC is Assyria overran Syria and most of Israel, the northern kingdom, and some other lands. Some years later in 722, the capital of Israel fell. That was Samaria, the city of Samaria. Samaria. By the way, much of that population was deported and they were replaced by foreigners. So mm. this helps us to understand why the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. right? Because the foreigners came in, the Israelites who were there were deported anyhow. But the king of Syria did not invade Judah. I guess Ahaz kind of did ingratiate himself. and um, But what he did the king of Assyria made Judah pay a very heavy tax, a very heavy tribute to them. Mm -hmm. So really Judah became a state dependent on Assyria. So even though they were at peace, it was pretty shaky. Uh Um, And what happened at that point was the religious life of the people started to deteriorate. So, their fidelity to the law started to wane. And that's where Isaiah comes in. The prophet Isaiah, when you read the first 12 chapters of the book of the prophet Isaiah, you read these different oracles where he's denouncing the people for forsaking God and the covenant. They had distanced themselves from God. And the future was bleak. I mean, basically, Isaiah was warning them. And he was calling them to conversion. He said, if you're not faithful to God, you know, disaster is going to happen. He did tell them that they, you know, that eventually they were going to be destroyed. But he, he did give them some hope because he said, "If when you read Isaiah, he often speaks of a remnant of the people who would stay faithful to God. Hmm. He prophesied that there'd be a new reformed people that would emerge. Anyhow, King Ahaz didn't put his trust in God, and um, so he's looked upon as not a good king. Hezekiah, on the other hand, who followed Ahaz, did trust in God and listened to Isaiah. So, that's interesting. So, let's look more at the book itself. As I mentioned, there are three major parts. It's a long book. Mm -hmm. The first 39 chapters we call First Isaiah That's the time of the kings of Judah, those four kings that I just mentioned. So we read in those first 39 chapters different visions and oracles of the prophet Isaiah during this second half of the 8th century BC, where you have the Assyrians and the threat of invasion. When you get to those latter chapters, 36 to 39, the latter chapters of 1st Isaiah, You read how the Assyrian armies reached the very gates of Jerusalem and besieged the city. The king of the Assyrians was Sennacherib. (laughs) Sennacherib. And that was in the year 701 BC. But the siege was lifted. They never actually took over the city. King Hezekiah, who was the king at that time, had put his trust in the Lord. We read about him going to the temple to pray. So he was a model king. He listened to what Isaiah preached. Now, after that, the city was spared, but he became very ill, and then God cured him of his illness. So that's all very interesting to read in these latter parts of First Isaiah. Unfortunately, Hezekiah wasn't the perfect king they had some visitors from babylon that you can read about and and king hezekiah showed him his treasures and everything and and that was uh, considered the sin of pride hmm. and uh, isaiah criticized him for it and uh and it was at that point that isaiah prophesied the babylonian exile that the babylonians would come so that's the first part chapters okay. 1 to 39 the second part of the book of the prophet Isaiah uh-huh. is called Second Isaiah, or more commonly, Deutero-Isaiah. Okay. And that is includes chapters 40 to 55. Okay. Why don't we take a break, and when we come back, we can do part two of
1: Isaiah. Very good. If you have any questions, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash askbishop, call or text the Holy Cross College text line 260 436 95 98 and we've got more about our major prophet isaiah coming up right here on truth and charity brought to you in part by notre dame federal credit union welcome back to truth and charity with bishop rhodes i am kyle hyman here with our bishop we've been talking about isaiah and you mentioned these, these three different parts of Isaiah. And I think at the beginning, you said Isaiah was alive for that first part that you were just talking about. So the second part that's starting is after his death.
0: Right, it's like 100, over 100 years later. Okay. Okay, between 100 and 200 years later. Huh. These chapters 40 to 55. It's called Second Isaiah or Deutero-Isaiah. And there's a new superpower, uh-huh. oppressor, Babylon. So, in that first period when Isaiah was alive, it was Assyria was the enemy. Mm-hmm. Now Babylon's the enemy. And actually Babylon does conquer, the Babylonians do conquer Jerusalem. And that took place in 587, 586 B.C. Okay. And the people, especially the leaders, and many of the people were deported to Babylon. So, You know, we talk about that as the Babylonian exile. This is a very important part of Old Testament history Mm -hmm. that we understand about the Babylonian exile. And it was about 50 years later that they were able to return. So they were all those years in Babylon. In 539 BC, they returned. And it was because the king of Persia had conquered the Babylonians and his Mm -hmm. name was King Cyrus. He allowed the people to return home. This is important to understand because when you read second Isaiah, the prophets announcing deliverance from Babylon. So they're in exile. So this is what we call the book of the consolation of Israel. Hmm. Second Isaiah is often called the book of consolation because the tone is very different than first Isaiah. First Isaiah was kind of you know harsh it was saying about the infidelity of the people you've got to change you've got to come back to the lord all of that well now it's a word of comfort because they're they're suffering Mm -hmm. and they're enslaved in babylon and second isaiah announces that they will be delivered from captivity thanks to the power of god They would be restored on Mount Zion. By the way, when you see Mount Zion, which is often in the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, they're referring to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on a mount, Mount Zion. Uh So, one part of Deutero-Isaiah that's uh, especially important for us as Christians are the four songs of the servant. Hmm. You've heard of the suffering servant in Isaiah? Right. That's from Deutero-Isaiah in chapters 42 49 50 and 52 we read these songs of the servant then part three of the book of isaiah is called third isaiah chapters 56 to 66 okay so there's 66 chapters in this book so it's really and at this point it's one of the biggest right this is historically this takes place after their return from the babylonian exile okay so what are the what's the prophet talking about now he's talking about the salvation of the whole world so when you read the oracles and the visions in these last chapters of the book of isaiah from third isaiah the emphasis is on a new zion and uh salvation for all mankind Mm -hmm. and that that salvation would be proclaimed from jerusalem so, that gives you um, an overview of the parts of the book of Isaiah. But I think much more important for us is to look at what are the messages in this book? Yeah. And what's their meaning for us as Christians? So, what I'd like to do is talk about these themes. And then I'd like to kind of look at some of them that the, the gospel writers and the early church saw as really prophecies about christ Mm -hmm. yeah so that's their major importance for us i mean it's it's not just that we're studying a history book and you know i spent a lot of time on the history because it's important to know the history Uh but then remember this is god's word and so what is in that book is more than the history at that time Mm -hmm. there's a message for us today and actually there's prophecy about the Messiah to come. So, do you want to look at some of the great themes of the book and then I'll look at some of the Christian interpretations? Well,
1: let's do that. Why don't we take one more break and then whenever we come back we'll get into the meaning behind all this. Remember, you can ask your questions by going to radiocom slash askbishop text us on the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598 and we've got more about Isaiah coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, Brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not for profit, member owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services that save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. We've been talking about Isaiah, and you did a great job going through the history and the three different parts of Isaiah. And whenever you say that there's a spiritual meaning of all of this and it relates to Jesus and stuff, uh, are are you saying, but it it is still also a historical account? Yes. Unlike, I know we we said like with Noah and Adam and Eve, those are uh, potentially fiction, but... uh, or how did how did you describe them Yeah as? I mean the, some of those
0: early stories are prehistory right we don't know for sure so, if it's right, right.
1: but but this is
0: this is, is historically yeah. yes. accurate as well Exactly okay. And um, so, what we're looking at is the historical situation, uh-huh. uh, and you, when you read the book, you you see this. I mean, it talks about these different kings. It talks about the Assyrians and the Babylonians and all mm-hmm. that. So, there's a historical narrative, but okay. all through it, though, the important thing is the message of the prophet. Yeah. So you have themes about God and and man and salvation. I mean, these are all important themes. Mm-hmm. And then it's really what can be called a compendium of the whole Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. As a matter of fact, St. Jerome, the great St. Jerome who translated the Bible into Latin, Mm -hmm. called the book of Isaiah, as it were, a compendium of all the scriptures. Because it's a compendium of Old Testament belief, faith. Of, of the old in the old testament but also according to saint jerome's and it's true it opens a window to the new testament mm-hmm. to the fullness of res- revelation with the coming of christ and then saint jerome said isaiah should be called an evangelist i thought this is very interesting when he said this you know we call him rather than a prophet uh-huh. he should be called an evangelist huh. and he says because isaiah Describes all the mysteries of Christ and the church so clearly that one would think he's composing a history of what has already happened rather than prophesying what is yet to come. Mm. So I think that's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, what's his idea of God? Well, he writes, Isaiah writes about, and I mentioned this earlier, the holiness of God, that he's above everything. He's above all created things. He's the sovereign Lord. So, in his presence, according to Isaiah, angels and humans can but tremble in fear and reverence. Hmm. So, this sovereignty of God. Now, we see that in other prophets, too. It's there in Isaiah. And you see it in his own experience in the temple. When he was called by God to be his prophet, he had this vision of the Lord seated in majesty. That's a famous uh, call story, the story of the call of Isaiah. It's found in that first Isaiah, the first of the three parts, uh-huh. in chapter six. So, I thought it might be helpful for the listeners at times to just you know, get a little taste of of uh, Isaiah, but also it's important to know about his call. Okay. So I just like to read Isaiah chapter six, verses one to six. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Sound familiar? Very much, yeah. (laughs) We sing that at the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer. Okay, continuing. Isaiah writes, And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim to me, having in his hand a burning coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin forgiven. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, I'll stop there. (laughs) This gets long. Uh, But this is a real theophany. Okay, so you have this experience of this manifestation of God. That's a theophany. And you have this, you know, God there in majesty. By the way, you you may have heard this reading it's read once every three years as like as a reading in in the lectionary uh-huh. on the fifth sunday in ordinary time year c okay. so it should be familiar to our listeners but also th- when we have masses for vocations to priesthood or, or vocations to the religious life this is one of the readings that can be used like okay. at ordinations uh-huh. so I, I love this reading And notice, holy, holy, holy. Why Mm -hmm. three times? Why does it just say, holy is the Lord of hosts? He says, holy, the seraphim said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He's three times holy. Mm -hmm. Because in Hebrew, that's the highest superlative. When you say a word three times. So God stands apart, is above all, he's the creator, he has no imperfections, no limitations he's almighty he's above all things this is really important in all the prophets and in isaiah included but he's not just distant he's also personal Hmm. because he enters in dialogue with isaiah so he's not just a distant power he enters into a dialogue with him you know he says to isaiah whom shall i send and who will go for us. And Isaiah respond, here I am, send me. Now, you notice in that Isaiah was filled with a sense of his own uncleanness. He he said after he saw God, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, I, and I'm dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So he professes his unworthiness and his insignificance before god this is his humility Mm -hmm. and when he does that he's cleansed and he's consoled and his fear then turns to trust you know here i am send me Mm -hmm. god entrusted him with the mission as a prophet and he really it wasn't an easy mission i mean he was going to go out and have to preach this message of judgment upon the people who were being unfaithful. So, when we look at the, this theme of the majesty of God, the holiness of God, another theme that kind of goes with it is the lowliness of man, hmm. especially when he sins. So, that's a major message of Isaiah, who's going to, when you read the book, you know, the sins of Jerusalem and Judah that these are sinful people, humans who, as Isaiah preaches, they should be humbly acknowledging God as their master. But no, they rebelled against him. They didn't trust in him. They sinned. They rebelled against him. They insulted God, really, by entering into that alliance. Well, it wasn't really an alliance, but where the king ingratiated himself with the Assyrians, that shows a lack of trust in God, uh, according to Isaiah. Mm Mm-hmm. And really, when you read Isaiah, it's clear that the worst sin is pride, man's pride, self-sufficiency. So he'll write about the day of the Lord, that there's a day coming that will bring punishment, the day of the Lord, hmm. because of their failure to respond to the Lord. When we read Jesus's parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 21, to really understand that well we really should know Isaiah's Song of the Vineyard, which is in Chapter 5 of the Book of the Prophet Isaiah. So, so much of the New Testament we understand better when right. we when we know the Old Testament. So, I thought it might be helpful to just maybe read that Song of the Vineyard. Again, it's one of those that comes up every three years in the lectionary. Uh-huh. But do we have time for me I, to read that? I think we
1: are out of time for today, actually. Oh. Maybe – uh, we could push this over into next week's
0: show. Okay, so if, if listeners want to get a head start, okay, read Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. It's a masterpiece of Hebrew poetry.
1: All right, well, could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go?
0: Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.